Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us on another episode of A Crazy Dream. Today we have a dreamer who is with us. He's taking action and making his dreams his reality. He is an event planner, an entrepreneur, a brand specialist, and he also works in the entertainment industry. Our guest today is Jermaine Greaves, and he is not like the other kids. I'll let you tell I'll let him tell you why. Hi, Jermaine. How are you? Hi, My name is Jermaine Greaves, and I am from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, not born and raised. I'm originally from Georgetown, Guyana. And I am not like the other kids because I believe in pushing yourself through adversity and also allowing yourself to be great through different situations in your life. You cannot and should not allow yourself to be stuck in a situation that allows you to no longer be creative, no longer allow you to be free, and no longer allow you to be you. Oftentimes we are afraid of what we are becoming because of the life that we live. So that's my little introduction um, about me. And uh, any questions you have, you could kind of go ahead. All right, perfect. So when I came across your page, what interested me was, one, I got that feeling from you that you don't let anything get in the way of you doing what it is that you want to do, and I saw that you were creating your vision. Like, I could feel it from your pictures and from the things that you were up to. So could you tell people a little bit about what Not Like the Other Kids is, how that came to be, and, you know, what that brand is about? Okay, so initially Not Like the Other Kids came to be from myself, well, from another individual named David Noodles, um, who's based in uh, Staten Island. He has a clothing company called Stereotype Co. And that's how those two uh, ventures came about. At the time I created that specific brand, I was um, raising money for a new wheelchair. Um, You can also check out the brand at Stereotype Co., uh, dot com slash not like the other kids, but ideally it came about me going through a struggle, and I was in a place in my life where I was like, I can't continue to pretend like everything is okay, you know, because oftentimes in our lives we we hide everything from people just so they don't know who we really are, and I got to a place where I was tired of hiding where I was tired of pretending and where I was just tired of being tired. So when you go through things like that, you just decide that the best thing you can do is be a better person, a better a better leader for yourself. Um, and that was my stepping stone when I decided to do the brand. Um, the reaction I got from it, um, the first two weeks we did it, it was a slow burn. But this was this was, one of the things I learned about doing the whole clothing thing um, was that I had to reach out. Like, I really had to reach out. You know, like, I really had to tell people what I'm doing and who I am. And it also allowed me to have a platform to tell my story, which mm-hmm. is an even greater gift. Because when you're allowing yourself to now be a storyteller of your struggle, you're giving other people hope. So... Um, it showed me that I can be 
somebody that's a change agent without being like super famous. And also, I learned a valuable lesson about myself. I can and I should be able to be who I want to be. Um, to my creatives out there that kind of feel like they have to be like this Beyonce or Jay-Z or any big celebrity, you have to realize that you are the celebrity. Like, what I mean by that is, like, you have to know your influence from the jump. Um, you know, and, like, how people look at you. You know, when you when you have that special thing about you, people are going to give you looks. People are going to see you and ask you for way more. I kid you not, within, the, like, the last week or so or two weeks, I've had these different epiphanies in my life where I'm realizing everybody's reaching out to me because of the value I bring. And then it's, it's a different conversation also as an event planner. Because a lot of the artists hitting me up now, they're like, oh, I see you doing this, I see you doing that. But a lot of the times they themselves cannot offer me a budget. They don't have a business plan. They don't know what it is to structure something. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I kind of have to be very Beyonce about it. Like, you know, if you're not going to bring anything to the table, like I have, you know, I set my, I knew when I started promoting, I just, when I started going to parties, I just went to parties. I think the first time I realized I was a brand was when I was a volunteer for Afropunk. And also for four years, I was also the volunteer coordinator for the Brooklyn Music Festival. And mm-hmm. I would see all these artists, like, they would literally come through me. Like, in the emails, they're like, oh, Jermaine, I saw on your post that you had the Brooklyn Music Festival. And I was the coordinator for four years. But I stepped away from that because uh, my boss, he was undervaluing me, and he wasn't really trying to pay me much of anything. It was just, at the time, you know, you're young, you're wet behind the ears, you're excited. And I think for me, that was the first time, like, I experienced the industry. Um, we were a brand-new event. We were trying to get sponsors. We were trying to do a lot of stuff. And it was really hard because you're, you're new promoters. You're, you're technically new. They, the industry isn't really familiarized with you. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly prove yourself. Um, when I did Afropunk, I had a lot of people looking at me, like, can you host this? Can you... But they were not necessarily trying to pay me. So in that span of time, I just kind of disappeared. Then I got this bug to kind of do my own thing, but I was doing it on my own. A lot of the things you have seen is literally me and a few people doing it. But most of the time, I independently do it on my own. I've I've only recently started reaching out to other people. But Mm -hmm. even then, I'm I'm very iffy because I don't know if they're taking advantage of my image or they're looking at me as a way to bridge their own brands. Because, you know, it's a lot of things you kind of go through as a as a creative, and I've been at this since 2011, November 2011. Um, so I have seen a lot. I remember being at the warehouse parties. I remember being the one asking, can I host, can I do this, can I do that? And I got tired of it, and I just started going ham in every sense of the word. Um, I remember my first year promoting, I went to a bunch of events, like, all the time, just so people could see me visibly, like, out. Yeah. Even taking a picture or doing something. Um, 
you know, I know I know that the festival when I did the festival, it did open some doors for me. I was able to meet some famous people. I was able to uh, bring on some artists in those four years. But I think I think my issue was looking back at that whole process was, you know, I didn't know that that person would take advantage of me in such a way, of you know, and just undervalue me. But at the same time, like I said, you're young, you're unsure, um, you know, you know you want to do something, but you're young. I was 18, 19 in the industry starting out, um, you know, and all these doors are to open. I met all these artists and all these music videos and all these fashion things I've done. It's, it's a different, I, I mean, this year, I mean, the last four years have felt like a roller coaster. Because mm-hmm. people would see, like, oh, he's doing the festival. Uh, but they would have no idea. Like, I'd be bottom dollar broke sometimes. Or they would mm-hmm. see an event and they would think, oh, my God, the event looks so lit. But, you know, I just spent all my money on it and just, you know, these artists, you know, and DJs don't show up for me. And it's it's a lot of things that go through my brain. Every time I do an event, I'll be honest with you, I get really nervous because I'm afraid that, you know, that because I'm an invisible face and that I'm out there and, you know, people see all the inspirational quotes. I put that up, and I'll tell you about my Instagram. Um, I think for me, initially, Instagram started kind of about, like, like, the quote thing for me, I always put a quote. Even before I was a promoter, that was just something I did as a self-motivation for myself. Um, that was something I just did because mm-hmm. because that was me. I felt connected to do that because I felt like, okay, if I'm going to use this platform, I have some influence. People are listening to me. So it's important that when I use the platform, I am impactful. Um, and that that's my thing. I never want to do anything that doesn't feel like I'm motivating somebody or they're not being moved or they're not learning or they're not being educated on what's out there. Because you can't have a platform and not be able to educate. That's when you lose an audience. That when, you know, and I'm I'm not like, I'm known, but I'm not, like, super famous, but I hope that when I do kind of blow up and get bigger than where I've been and where I have come from as a planner, that, um, you know, I, I learn, you know, I continue with that because I want people to know that you're not the only one going through it. I am too, although we live maybe across the world or, you know, I have people from all over saying, like, I love your quotes. I love what you're doing. You're so positive. You're so consistent. You're always promoting something. You're very focused on making sure that your brand sticks, and I see that. And it's people when people tell me that, I know I'm doing the right thing, mm-hmm. um, because because oftentimes you feel like, oh wow, your brand, you're this. Just I would tell anybody like you have to be your authentic self um, in everything that you do. Don't let them, don't let the outside influences try to tell you you can't do this, you cannot do that. You can do that. You can yeah. and you should. You know. Yeah. I saw like you did a photo shoot on your page, and I meet I meet people, and they tell me they want to be a model. They tell me they want to do these things. And I'm like, well, you can do that. You can be that. You literally just have to do it and learn the steps. You know, involved like get into it. It's and, not. I mean, it's um, those photo shoots I did. I did them in 2012, 2013, and in 2015 and 2015. Yeah. So I did those things because 
for me, I was just, I wanted to, to show confidence. I, I, that's the biggest thing for me. I don't want to be afraid of of society um, because I'm already disabled. I'm already in this wheelchair. It's not going to stop me from living. Um, and to my haters, continue to be mad. It's like I can't focus on everybody. Like I said, the last two weeks for me have been a real spiritual experience because I realized, like, oh, my God, I'm getting somewhere. But I really got to be careful with who I work with yeah. because some of these people are not anywhere near where I'm at. And that's okay. But I got to stay away from some of them because they don't have a goal in mind. They just want to either, you know, you have to really listen to people too. People tell you who they are within the first five minutes. And, and I tell people this all the time, you know, like, you know, I was, you know, and I'll be honest with me about me. You know, sometimes I go really hard for other people, and then, you know, I neglect myself. And I realize that isn't necessarily a good thing. You have to be able, as much as I'm an inspiration, I, I have some some vices I deal with, like helping too much or maybe because I see talent and I fight for talent so much, it gets me upset when I see a talented person kind of not see what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, you know what? They're gonna they're gonna learn the hard way what it takes to be in this industry, because you have to. And I tell people this all the time: you got to invest in yourself. If you don't, you can't complain. You really cannot. No, no yeah. one can. Nobody can complain about why this and why that. Stop with say, like, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, when you say, like, the stuff that you need to be in this industry, like, what do you say are those things? Because, like you said, you're in a wheelchair, and you're able to still achieve these things and get these things done. So that shows us that these things can be done across boundaries and limitations that we set or impose or that even may be there, but we can create our own lane and create our own way of doing things. So what are some of the things you would say are needed to be in this industry, in the event planning industry or in, like, the management industry, like, you talked about having a plan. Like, what are some of the things you would suggest for people to, you know, do or utilize to kind of I go think, um, mm-hmm. I think knowledge is power. Like, reading books is everything. Uh, Google searching, seminars, um, going to different events, speaking to people, listening to, and also having a vision. A lot of people out here, uh, just want to make money, and that's cool. But you literally you have to have a vision, and I'm not saying that to be negative or nothing. But without a vision, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot be who you want to be. Like you must have that. You know, a lot of people I see, oh, they just want to make money. They want to be popping. They want to, and also we live in a new culture, but with social media that people have to pretend to be who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't live that life. I'm not going to pretend to be anything other than myself. Um, mm-hmm. that, has to, that has to end also. Um, being your authentic self has to be in again, you know. It's not easy, but you have to do it. The work to being authentically you is never easy, but it, it's something you just have to do. Um 
It's no, it's never going to be easy, but you have to know that whatever you do do also makes sense to you. Yeah. And, and that's my thing. I never I never did this event thing because I wanted to be cool or, or be around a lot of people. That's cool. But as you get wiser, you're like, what is my purpose? What is my vision? Yeah. And what is what is the thing I'm really focused on here? Because you can't be everything for everybody. Um, and I just want to say that. I think people in the culture or especially artists and creatives of all facets, whether it be the, the event planning, uh, natural business, or anything that's independently owned, it's very hard to, uh, you know, push yourself when you're not seeing support from other people or maybe you're feeling like you're alone. So mm-hmm. I think people have to understand that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be of help, but you don't have to sit there and like continue with the with the um you know continue with with feeling like that's how you should be. Yeah. Because because everybody and also setting standards. Standards are everything. If you have a standard, you will always get respect. Not Maybe. just some, yeah. Not not just some of the time, but all of the time. I think people have to realize that when you are at a certain plateau, it's time to charge. It's time to let people know this is my value, and if you cannot meet that, um, thank you and have a nice day. Like, it's no problem with me saying no, because you know what? I don't have to stretch myself thin for anybody other than myself. I am in competition with the inner self, not with everyone else, because when so when you start to look at other people, you don't see what gifts you have. I think we live in a culture where people are just watching everyone else but not really learning. And, you know, and with me, if I see something I really like, I share it. Mm-hmm. And I do that because I want to show people that I see you. You're a person, you're somebody that I respect. I'm listening to your music and motivation, and I, I like what you're doing. I don't think we have a lot of people like that nowadays. Everybody kind of gives me like, oh, you're like such an A and R. Thank you for sharing my music. I've gotten like I remember one time I shared someone the music and they literally got an interview for a blog. And this was an artist out in London. And we've been cool like for about that. a year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean I mean it's been it's been cool to to see like artists say, Oh my god, if you didn't share my music, I wouldn't have been heard by these people. If you didn't do this, I wouldn't have been heard by this. You know, and I think people have to realize like with me I'm a music lover first. Yeah. So it, it is promoting is cool, and event planning is cool, but I'm a music listener first. I don't. I go into planning my events like a music listener, like literally what's out and try to see how I could get artists that are similar without compromising my integrity, and that have a message and that are impactful and that are at least. Um, moving because it's it's so important to do something that is passionate. Yeah. So any more? I want to hear more. Any more questions you have? I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, of course. I've been chatty, chatty. Um, sorry. No, <laughs> I actually appreciate it because I'd rather let you share what comes to you because this is being recorded, and you know sometimes we forget, but 
there are jewels that come out when we speak and we just have a space to just share. So listening to this, someone might hear something that might really resonate with them. So the the whole point of having you on the show is so you can share. So I appreciate that, you know. So, like, I'm listening to you talk, and it's like, you know, you're a younger man, so you are in a wheelchair. So I would like you to, like, share, you know, maybe if you feel comfortable sharing, like, tell people, like, about, you know, what is my my grandfather has Gillian Barre, so he's been in a wheelchair for as long as I've been alive. Oh, wow. Yeah, like what, you know, if you want to share some of that experience. Yeah, I'll share, I'll share. So I was born with cerebral palsy. Um, I was born seven months premature. Um, so, you know, so when I was I was growing up, um, it was just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't walk clear, I couldn't walk. So it was just, you know, and, and even before I went to America, because I'm from originally Georgetown, Guyana, I'll go into my mm-hmm. little backstory. So I was I was raised by my aunt for nine years uh, because my mom was in the situation and uh, you know she raised me as a single mother um, and, yeah. and just life happened um, and just my aunt raised me first but I remember uh, growing up out there and like having to to be a young kid and how I would get to school was I had an uncle named Patrick who would drive me to school out there in Guyana and then also. Um, I used to be in a stroller to go to get around. Yeah. Like a baby stroller at like eight, seven years old. I could barely fit the seat because I was so big, and they oh. couldn't necessarily afford a wheelchair at the time. Like this was young, but like before I came to America. So you know, my mom saw that and she's like, you know, what? I want you to come to America. So I did. <laughs> um, growing up in America was interesting. Because you had people that were like, oh, you're an immigrant. And then because I was disabled, people would always be like, oh, I'm retarded. Um, I was bullied uh, somewhat. Not a lot, but, you know, occasionally. Yeah. And then, and then, like, also growing up, I had, like, some racial bullying, too. I went to summer camp in, like, Oakhurst, New Jersey, many moons ago. And the kid called me an Oreo. I didn't know what that meant at the time. But wow. it was, like, somebody who was, like, well-spoken and, like, had like proper English diction and wasn't like speaking hood language or whatever they call it. Yeah. So, so it's like growing, like growing up like that is just kind of weird to me because, you know, yeah. my mom raised me to be like very educated and I saw her growing up like going to school and like doing things and like working hard. So, you know, um, yeah. And like that you just was, said, yeah, I'm sorry. I just want to like point out something you just said, like, talk about that because you talked about, you know, someone saying, like, basically how you should speak or, you know, how you should sound. You sound white Oreo. And those things, those terms are also used to shame you from being who you are, which is, you know, they're saying that because of the way you speak, you know, you're you're well-spoken. You sound like, you know, you research <laughs> these things. And it's like they're, they're associating that with whiteness when in reality that's actually just intelligence and that was like being white or black, like. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was yeah. like, I was like eleven. So I'm like, what did this mean? <laughs> you know, I've never experienced that. I don't know what racism is. I, I experienced it then, and, and that was weird to me. I'm like, you know. And the way, what was the background of the person who said this? It was he was white, but I didn't understand um, what he was saying until someone explained to me. Oreo actually means like whitewash or like. You're black, yeah. but like you sound white, and I was just like, uh huh, what? You know, yeah. and 
Like, I went to school, like, in, like, Brownsville, East New York, when I was, like, in middle school and, like, in elementary. Well, in elementary, I went to a school that was, like, on Dean Street, and, like, it was a nice school, but I had to leave because we were moving, and I was going to be out of that area. Um, So because I was moving, like, I had to move, which was sad. But I went to another school, PS190, that was, like, in the hood hood, and it was just different experience at the time. Um, whatever, but um, I also went to this school called Brooklyn Collegiate. Uh, that was the worst experience of my life in middle school. Cause I just I just wasn't happy there. I was not happy there. I could I yeah. I remember that it was years ago, but I remember just not being happy. Like, yeah. you know, just like oh my god, I hate I hated everything about that school. I think um, and then like after that, I went to a high school called Edward R. Murrow, and it was just from 2007 to, like, 2010, it was the most creative. I was young, but I was, like, watching all my friends become, like, rappers and, like, other things. And, like, in high school, I was, like, cool but shy. So, like, everyone knew me, but I was, like, still very shy. I wasn't, like, social. So, Mm -hmm. like, I kind of told myself after high school, like, I have to put myself out there. Um, I went to college, like, twice. (laughs) And, like, Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. It's giving us a countdown. Hold on. Let me see if I can send it. Hold on. If I have to, we'll just reconnect, and we'll do, like, a part two. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But... Like, uh, like, uh, like I was saying, uh, oh, there's a... Uh... Since we're close to the end, I think it might be good to just give your information for the people who might not listen to part two, because... Okay. That way, they'll still get your information and be able to contact you. All righty. So, everybody, um, I have to cut that sentence short. But I am on Instagram at lovelife45. I am on Facebook at Jermaine Greaves. I also have a website. Uh, it's a temporary website for now, but it will be updated. Uh, com. I also have a Twitter, which is GermaineSAY, um, and I also have, um, you know, he'll find me on those outlets. And also, I am I am a traveling promoter, so if you need an event to be planned, um, I can travel um, as well. So if, if the budget is right and if the contract is right, I will be there. But um, thank you for allowing me to speak on Uh, some of my experience, and I appreciate you, and there will be a part two, guys. Love (laughs) y'all. Bye. All right. Part two is coming up next. Hey. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.